everyone. Hello. I keep forgetting you're doing that. <laughs> I love it though. <laughs> Hello everyone. Hello. And welcome to another episode of the D&D Music Factory podcast. I am David. And I'm Dan. And today we have another new top 10, combined top 10 for you guys. Up this week is instrumental songs. I mean songs with absolutely zero vocal. Not even just songs. So we had to make this stipulation so that both of us didn't just pick five Cigarose tracks. Yeah. So this is no songs cannot have any vocal in them whatsoever. Yeah. No talking, no like slight vocal sounds. Uh, nothing, anytime you heard a human's voice, it was it would have to be ruled out. So yeah, that's part of the rules. Also, we both did this and I don't know if we ever discussed it, but it also doesn't include any like music scores or TV scores, things that are made specifically for something. These are songs from albums, um, you know, not not music to accompany something else. So another little disclaimer there for you guys and girls. Um, cool. So you're def- this is definitely, looking at both of our lists, this is definitely the most out there, different um, combination of, of artists and songs that we're going to put out so far. So Definitely a very eclectic mix here. Yeah, but that's that's great, and that's why we're doing this, because we spend a lot of our time looking for this stuff and listening to it so we can share it with other people, and now we can, and, and I think you'll all learn about a few new artists today, and hopefully you like them as much as we do. And hopefully in some of the comments, you'll teach us about new artists and things that we didn't realize we were missing out on. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I know for me personally, it was really hard not to just make this entire list of like songs that I would use to DJ with because like that could be, it could have been its own list probably. I definitely had to just decide like, is I can't just pick jazz records. Yeah, yeah. It's it, and, and I feel like we did each get a good combination of like what our general interests are and, and got basically one song from from that category it feels like very um, much so yeah i think yeah i think that's fair absolutely cool all right well with that out of the way uh let's get started dan what is number five for you okay so my fifth pick for uh the best instrumental songs no vocals um is a song called hack and sack by jimmy smith um this was originally uh written by thelonious monk and covered on jimmy smith's album softly as a summer breeze uh, this record was actually recorded in 58, so literally like right after he recorded The Sermon, which is arguably one of the greatest jazz records of all time, Jimmy Smith being a electric and traditional organ player as his, tr- as his uh, bass instrument. Um, and, but this record wasn't released until 1965 by Blue Note, so it's a little bit of a later piece in his collection. Um, this record has Jimmy Smith, obviously, as the organ, um, and also features Kenny Burrell on guitar, one of my all-time favorite guitar players. Um, phenomenal, thousand notes a minute, like note salad kind of players. And then on drums is Philly Joe Jones, a uh, local boy and legend, um, incredible drummer. Um, and the three of them are just absolutely exquisite on this record. Um, the coolest thing that I love about this song the most is that once you get into the last minute 30 of this, it begins to almost be rounds of, what's the word? Improvisation is the correct word. Um, Where it goes back and forth from Joe to Jimmy, and then back to Joe, and then to Kenny, and then back to Joe and to Jimmy. And it really just ends up in these, like everybody gets two bars to just flash. And some of them, when it comes back to Joe on drums, he's just literally 
tapping and like skipping third notes. So it's a really interesting, like amazing playing from all three of them. Um, some Jimmy Smith stuff on his later records, I feel, can start to get almost like drunk man in the in the baseball organ, like where it starts to get kind of silly and out of place as he starts to experiment more with some free jazz stuff, which I feel like with an organ is kind of a weird instrument to vibe that to. But with these records, he really is staying in the pocket really well and just really showing some of the virtuosity um, that, you know, would later become adopted by some other great instrumentalists um, in later jazz music. Uh, but I really can't say enough good stuff about this song. And it's such a, like, I really, my, my main passion with jazz is I really like fast, quick pace. Um, the laid back stuff, like, you know, Miles Kind of Blue and stuff like that is also phenomenal. But when I put on a jazz record, what I want is I want that I want fast. I want the tempo pushing. I want everybody slamming the improvisations, you know, absolute riffing happening. Um, and that's what this song absolutely has for you. I feel, I feel like that drum beat you just did was used in so many, like, Looney Tunes or cartoons before. Oh, where, it's, like, it's somebody the, just gets up and, like, somebody's, like, bouncing around playing yeah. the stand-up bass. Yeah, the big like, stand-up bass. Doop, 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 doop. <laughs> it's definitely uh, it's definitely the most cartoonish of jazz tempos that you can pick up uh, but yeah so it was it was hard to fight through all of my favorite jazz songs and I feel like this is a really great one because it's a little bit deeper you know what I mean this isn't you know something off of Miles Kind of Blue or one of the other legendary records or even Jimmy's The Sermon there's a little bit of a deeper cut, but I love the three musicians that they uh, acquired for this session is what makes it so special. Yeah, this is really cool. I didn't know this was a Thelonious Monk cover. Yes, so this was originally a Thelonious Monk song. Uh, he's the one that composed this song. Interesting. Um, whereas Jimmy composed a little bit and did some more stuff with the sermon, but on this record, it's almost more of like a jam than it is a traditional uh, like, I think on this original release, he only wrote one of the songs Oh, um, that was on it. Uh, that's the ode to uh, Philly Joe. That's um, kind of like, that's the only song that he composed originally for this record. Um, so, yeah. Is the whole record like this bouncy, jazzy kind of thing? No, or? so it does have some like really good, you know, Softly is a Summer Breeze. It has some songs that fit that title a little more. Okay. A little more laid back, a little breezy, a little light, but... This is the one that's, you know, kind of the cooker on the record. This is the yeah. one that really, you know, if you're, if you're a fan of jazz, this is the one that gets the blood pumping a little bit. Um, like here, we're starting to run into it now um, as I'm talking. That here's Philly. And then back to, back to Jimmy. And then Joe. And then Kenny again. And then Joe again. And it just keeps moving in this round for the last like minute and a half of the song. And it's just fucking brilliant, man. It's just absolutely great. Um, if I was in a jazz club to see this live, I would be losing my mind at how cool this is. So that's why I added it to my pick. Um, so yeah, so that is my pick for my uh, fifth favorite song that is instrumental with no vocals. So cool. with that, uh, Dave, we will throw it to you for your uh, first pick. All right. Up at number five for me is Alberto Balsam by Aphex Twin. Now, Aphex Twin is one of my all-time favorite artists, and there's a lot of different different songs I could have picked for this. 
it would have in a perfect world we would have used vocal sounds and I could have put window liquor in because that's like that's obviously my favorite song from him but I went with Alberto Balsam it's a weird um, balance of like really sad notes with an upbeat drum beat for him um, and it's really it's not fully as electronic as what you're used to hearing from him or at least people who know some of his more popular songs like Come to Daddy and, and Window Liquor that are very very electronic um, this is far more subdued, it's more calm, it's more melodic, um, and I think it helps um, really show how diverse he was, um, or is still, because he's still putting out music. Um, this came off of the album I Care Because You Do from 1994. Uh, I don't remember exactly where that was in the catalog, but I think it was after a lot of the, uh, the heavier electronic stuff, so um, yeah, it's just... It bounces around through a couple different parts. It doesn't really have uh, any kind of specific structure to it, um, but it's just smooth and relaxing and kind of just awesome. In my I love, opinion. I love the, uh, the the distant vibe it has. Like it sounds, it sounds mm-hmm. like almost like the song's playing at me from the end of a hallway. Yeah, like it almost gives it like a this dark, mysterious kind of. I really like this, but I have never actually heard. I've. I'm a surface level fan at best for yeah. um, Aphex Twin. Mm-hmm. Um, I mostly know the songs that you introduced me to. Yeah. Uh, but this is fantastic, man. I've never heard this. This is great. Yeah, it's it's really different for him. And there's another one, Avril 14th, that I thought about doing, which is just piano. But it's, it's a little bit more repetitive. Um, so I, I, I went with this one instead. Uh, but it is, it's awesome for somebody like him who... who like you knew him for for one thing or from from the brief amounts of, of songs that that um that i've shown like i remember we were in a bar when we lived together or no it was after we lived together um and we went to a bar and some guy was just yelling like i love apex twin put on come to daddy and i was like dude put on any other song that's the yeah, that's the weird anything one anything else yeah and he's like oh that's the only one i know but i love apex Twin." i was like you can't love an artist if you only know one of their fucking songs say- that's you not can't how say I love works. Bruce Springsteen if you only know Born in the USA. Right, yeah, because you probably know it for the wrong reason, too. Yeah, um, I love that song when Reagan played it. <laughs> <laughs> now, this would not be a song he Reagan would probably know about or play, but I do. Um, so, it's it's funny, too. Like he um, the, the cover for this is a self-portrait he did of just his own face, and... I guess at this point in in the 90s, um, Daft Punk had been become popular and other electronic artists were all wearing masks. And yeah, Dead Mouse had arrived. And, no, it's way Danger before Mouse. that. Yeah. This oh, is 94. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, but like he, he just went the complete opposite direction and just started putting his face on everything. I know that every album cover I've seen from him features at least a like exaggerated version of his face yeah yeah and they're the ho- plastered on different bodies on like window liquor yeah yeah that that music video for window liquor if you've never watched it is like a movie um it starts with these two guys like cruising the streets of la i guess looking for women and then they meet women and then something goes horribly wrong and all the women are like basically strippers in bikinis that just have this giant like horrifying version of his face on them and they're just like dancing while he's dancing in the middle of them with another version of his face and it's just like it's like looks like a rap video with just but it's it's so ridiculous you have to watch it if you've never seen it it'll make you laugh especially the beginning at least i thought so um yeah so 
I guess it's a little tougher to talk about some of these songs because there's not really like any lyrics to break down or, or anything and it's just kind of hey here's some nice peaceful music for you to listen to yeah that's cool all right cool well that's number five for me um dan let's go over to you for number four okay so my number four is a pick uh by an artist named bill orcutt now i had never heard of bill orcutt until i'd say middle of last year uh mid 2020 um, during the shutdown, uh, during the quarantine, uh, when the record store I work at was closed, but we were still in there doing online work and shipping out things. And I was just pulling stuff out at random, and I was listening to some uh, instrumental albums, and this came across uh, my lap. Um, this record is called Odds Against Tomorrow that was released in 2019. Um, it's almost like a improvisational folk blues guitar record where there is not any other accompanying instruments um it is literally just one guy and a guitar and on some of the tracks he does some looping stuff to give himself some backing but on this song i chose a song that has none of that it is literally just a dude a guitar and it is his tone is like gorgeous it is incredible you can tell all of the tension and distortion that comes on is literally through pick attack so in the song as it starts to build and build and build it's just him playing harder and like maybe a little bit of a dirt pedal thrown on but you never hear it engage it's almost just it slowly ramps up as if someone just turns the gain knob up on this obviously like fender twin sounding tone that just slowly comes up and up and up um he used to be in this group that toured with bands like sonic youth and stuff like that called hairy pussy uh h-a-r-r-y as if it is someone's name as in you know mr pussy like harry yes yeah i gotcha um (laughs) and so i just it's such a i've never heard a single guy playing by himself have so much songwriting characteristic to a song that is just him riffing um with the like the build of tension and release is like it's almost songwriter-esque but considering that it's just a guy that's playing this song that he barely wrote the like guidelines for before recording it is just insane to me um and when you see him he's this like big bearded dude with glasses he's got you know salt and pepper hair because he's probably in his I'd say late 50s at this point. Oh, really? And has done some cool improvisational records uh, with a separate drummer, and that was really interesting stuff. But this record where he decided to just do 100% solo is my favorite. It's just gorgeous, and it's sad, and it's meandering, and it's infectious, and I really haven't heard another record like it. So it's why I had to choose this to be my favorite instrumental song. Yeah, man. Anytime you can have somebody just play guitar just one person play guitar and hold your interest for this long is really hard yeah, to do absolutely it's not boring it's not no. repetitive it doesn't sound like it sounds like it's doing like an homage to old styles you know you hear a little bb king in it you hear a little bit of that old blue style but it doesn't sound like it's stealing from or robbing anything it's like that great sounds old but like has new to it yeah, that's just so hard to do, and I think he captured it perfectly on this album. Yeah, it's in, this is a really cool song. I did not know 
anything about this guy until just now. He's one of my favorite artists to expose people to just because it's such a an odd record that you hand to people. They see the album cover and it's a really strange like silhouette of his face. You can see that he has the white beard, but there's no there's no indication of what you're going to hear when you put the record on. And those are always my favorite ones uh, that you just you have no idea what's coming. Absolutely. OK, so with that, uh, we'll go to your pick, Dave, for your uh, fourth favorite uh, instrumental song. Awesome. So up at number four for me is Inspector Norse by Todd Terje. Terje, I I don't speak Norwegian, so I'm sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. T-E-R-J-E, or you can just look at the accompanying playlist and find out how the next three artists I say are <laughs> Or spelled. we could have a spelling bee for these strange Norwegian artists. That we we could. We absolutely could. <laughs> so uh, this is from the, like, dancier DJ kind of part of my music world and I wanted to find one that I thought was um, similar to what I said about uh, your song where it's electronic but it kind of builds and can capture you for a long period of time. It's a really goofy sounding song but it, it just really works. It sounds really silly with just these like notes kind of like popping in and out and then these kind of bends that he does with the synths and everything but it's it's really really well done and it works both as just like a standalone song and i've dj'd with it before and people dug it so it's definitely a, like just something really diverse um that i that i absolutely love it was uh it was originally released on an ep from him in 2012 and then made it on its way to his full-length album it's album time um his only full-length album so far um he's uh norwegian um, started off, I believe, by just doing like remixes of other artists' stuff and now has a lot of his own music, too. Um, just a really, really talented guy. I, um, say, I really enjoy the bass line because with the progression it's going through, it really feels like the song is building the whole time with that constantly going up and just adding more layers. So like you're not seeing layers change. It's just adding more and more and more. To right. It. Well, it does. It will it's, at some point change slightly, but only to kind of like... Most of the song and and what you're hearing continues, but it does do um, a somewhat of a transition into a slightly different part that's really cool. I, <laughs> I figured out what I was going to say now. Um, this song was actually used in a um, Dollar Shave Club commercial very briefly, uh, which is strange because uh, they didn't really have a ton of music in them. But it comes on really briefly at the end of on one of the commercials, and I just like stood up and started screaming. I was like, "Oh my god, a song I like in a commercial!" Like, because I'm a giant nerd like that. Um, but yeah, so it has uh, some commercial uh, cloud as well, which is kind of funny. I mean, you got to make that money, man. There, it's it's uh, hard yeah. as an artist to make money, and literally that licensing stuff. I mean, look how rich the Black Keys are. Uh, yeah. Like it's. I mean, it's it's genius. If you can get your stuff used in ad work, man. Yeah. That's all you like. You could have one song. They could if pay it you. Makes it on three national commercials. Yeah. You're set for life. Yeah. It's like like um, Jack White having Seven Nation Army play in every stadium ever. Like he'll never have to. Yeah. Do anything. I mean, he still will, but like, yeah, that's 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 crazy money, right? You got to get flipped a quarter every time that song plays. Uh, yeah. Which is <laughs> like, well. Maybe not so much during a pandemic when you can't go to stadiums unless you're in Texas or Florida, maybe. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So here's here's uh, now to the part of the song where it starts building up and kind of changes Ooh, I slightly. Hear, I hear him coming. Yeah. Just it's really just like a big synth note that that just kind of oh gives you a little bit of something different. But the 
the playful melody still goes kind of the same way, which is great. And obviously the drums and bass are really kind of doing the same thing. No, it's a great, like, it's it's that it's that melody that, like, was there the whole time, but it wasn't being expressed. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's great, man. Yep. It's funny, too. Like, I imagine when you're writing something like this and you hear some of these sounds, you're like, this sounds cool, but then you play it. And you have to, like, make a really distinct choice to make it sound so kind of childish, I guess, is the word I want to use. Like, there's something something about it that doesn't sound like what a lot of other people's music would sound like, and I think that's what makes this stand out so much. It's like... Yeah, and, and, and all the artwork's goofy. It looks like old... Um, just like old, like, 20s or something kind of cartoons. Yeah, it almost like, reminds me of, like, a mix of, like, Milton Glaser uh, of Beatles, like, Yellow Submarine mixed yeah. with, like, Schoolhouse Rock. Yeah. If and, that makes sense to you. Yeah, did you ever see um, the Christmas movie, the Frosty the Snowman one? Where, oh, yeah, the, with the, the old... With the hat? Uh, and, like, uh, wait, the Frosty the Snowman, the, the animated one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. Not Jack Frost, the one okay. where he murders people. Wait, wasn't Jack Frost the one where Michael Keaton dies and comes back as a snowman? Yeah, wasn't there another snowman movie where they kill people? <laughs> did he also kill people? No, not in that one. I think there was another <laughs> one, wasn't there? There probably is. There's no way there's not. The, I hope so. <laughs> that's us. Like, wait, the movie with Michael Keaton? Yeah, that's people? that's yeah, that's a different one. Yeah, where he's, he's his dad, but he's a snowman. Yeah, that's not. <laughs> My dad is a snowman? I guess this is fine. Yeah. I think that's probably the point in history where um, people, <laughs> like made the sharp turn to start doing remakes and just comic book movies because they're like shit all our all our original ideas are fucking dog shit well this song is wrapping up so dan why don't we send it back over to you for number three all right my number three favorite uh instrumental song is what i consider probably one of the most gorgeous ever recorded uh this album is perfect uh it was hard to choose which song from this I wanted, but here we are. The song is called Your Hand in Mine by Explosions in the Sky. Uh, the album is the, that is the name of or the name of the album blah, is Earth is Not a Cold Dead Place and was released in 2003. Uh, this, I think, is probably instrumental post rock at its best um, and certainly at its most like uh what's at its most dynamic in sense of the the excellent uh relationship between loud quiet um the building peaks on these songs are incredible and it's so it it's got such a like gentle tone to it at some times and then these big crushing heavy crescendos that are so phenomenal and just haunting and like the all the tones on this record from the snare tone on the drums to the guitars to how thick and crunchy the bass comes in it's just like it it doesn't sound to me like a song that you could have put vocals in if you wanted to it sounds a hundred percent like a song that is perfect and there is no space that could be could make it better um so uh, this record, uh, one of the former members of the band who's no longer with them, uh, Munaf Riani, Riani, sorry, um, said that this album was the band's first attempt at writing love songs. Um, and that this record's widely considered to be a concept album, though I'm not entirely sure what the redeeming concept is, but it does seem to be 
in its in its feeling, its vibe, its its uh, building and climax, and how the instruments are expressed almost seems to be a giant euphemism for a relationship. Um, especially with some of the song titles and names on here, um, makes it sound like that's probably true. Um, so I own this as a vinyl copy as well. I have a vinyl copy of this. And the cool thing about it is it has, it's a two LP, but it has an etched D side featuring birds in flight on it. And then on the dead wax of each record on side A, B, and C and D is the, is the uh, sentence. The earth is not a cold dead place because you are breathing because you are listening. Um, which I think is just wow. so fucking cool. And like is a great explanation of what this record is supposed to make you feel. Um, also another insane thing about this record that I think you'll know if you're a musician uh, like Dave and myself are, that's even more insane is that, this record was recorded and engineered over three days. It wow. only took three days to make this record. Are you kidding me? I'm not. The producer of the album was cited as saying, we spent three days in the studio and that was it. Which is just Holy ridiculous. Shit. I mean, who knows if they sat and wrote the entire thing at home and just decided this is what it is. We're not changing anything. But it's just like, even if you knew all of your parts and what you wanted to play to record an entire record in three days is just insane. Uh, I yeah, don't know how you would be capable of doing that unless you were in there literally working 24 hours a day. Uh, maybe, maybe, or maybe they're just that talented. I don't, I don't know. That's insane. It seems likely. I mean, I think this band has four records that I would say are incredible and three that I think are perfect. Um, with this, um, as well as all of a sudden I miss everyone. And then I really loved the record. Take care, take care, take care. Um, all three are like ridiculous album art for all of them. That's really great. Um, and I think they, they should be considered bigger than they really are. And as far as post rock and people that they like post rock and post metal, this band's huge and super influential and everybody loves them. But absolutely. I feel like you should hear these songs more. They should be in more films. They should be used in more stuff. And you'll occasionally hear one of these songs pop up in some things. Um, I was recently watching a Netflix original series that had uh, the song First Breath After Coma uh, that's off this album as well. It's the first song um, that that was featured in there. So I was really excited about that. And that's what jogged my memory into for this nice. uh, selection, I was like, oh, yeah, Explosions in the Sky. Like, how could I abs How could I forget this band if we're doing instrumental songs? Um, they're, uh, I, can't, I can't say enough good things about this, this group, this record, this song. Yeah. Um, yeah. These guys are incredible. I love when everything drops out and you, all you hear is that tiny little lead line. And the guitars are so twinkly and, like, it's so... It sounds so empty at times and so full at others. It's so interesting. I assume that that's part of what they meant when they said that this was like um, a concept album and that they were writing love songs. Like it's peaks and valleys. It's like, it, you know, it almost feels like you are watching an episode of a show and you can 
or you can picture like different moments happening on like in your head when you listen to different parts of this song like like oh they must be like walking into school right now or like this must be this or this could be this i should say like this is something that i could see like i would love to see someone do like or a choreograph like an interpretive dance to like one of these songs um that i think would be incredible uh one of the songs i wanted to choose but it has vocals in it so we couldn't is a cigaros that was used in the one of the later seasons of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia when Mac visits his father in jail and finally oh, yeah. comes out to his father as gay. And he does it with this interpretive dance with a woman who is supposed to be the dance is supposed to be his relationship with God and with himself through the dance. And, you know, by the end of it, even Frank, who always said he never understood Mac and everything like that stands up and goes, Oh my God, I get it <laughs> because it's just this incredible dance scene <laughs> and like this incredible choreography. And, uh, McElhenney obviously insanely shredded in it. Cause that was when he was jacked Mac phase. Yep. Um, but it's, it's so good. And I feel like this song would be an excellent accompaniment to something like that, to an interpretive dance, to, uh, massive choreographed sort of scene of that um especially with the slow build towards the end of the song uh would just be outstanding to say uh so with that uh rather than this it's probably the longest song on my list it is not um it is not the longest song on my list so never mind about that <laughs> but um <laughs> I was I was nervous. All of your songs are gonna be like twelve. It's minutes. definitely it's definitely a concern because my love for post metal is so deep. Mm -hmm. And if you're writing post metal songs and they're less than like seven minutes, <laughs> like it's almost like what are you doing? Fair point. But so with that, uh, we will throw it to you, Dave, for your uh, next choice for your favorite instrumental song. All right, up at number three for me is a song called "Airborne" by Jaga Jazzist. Jaga Jazzist. Uh, uh, Another Norwegian band. I, soft J. Yeah, or Soft G. I don't know how it works. Um, just look it up in, in the playlist. Um, so this is my jazz addition to this. And it's not like what you would normally think of as jazz. So this came out in, I believe, 2002 um, and was really critically acclaimed by a lot of people in Europe. Um, I don't believe it had a huge impact over here um at least not commercially and and any ch any charts of any kind but um but in norway it was it was really really popular and i think that's part of you know how it became so well known over here so it starts off very slow um it's just uh, a little bit of some kind of keys or something in the background with a saxophone and the saxophone plays throughout basically the whole song and it's kind of like the driving force behind it um you may be listening to it right now and being like all right this is really really slow and it's the exact opposite of dan's uh bopping around <laughs> yeah. jazz that we had yeah, on this, earlier this is also great it's it's kind of tripping me out a little bit because there's like the uh, whatever mastering they did has like a little bit of almost like a needle tick to it yeah there's some like kind of like playing an old sound. record so at first i'm thinking like i'm adjusting my like headphone jack i'm like Oh, this is a thing, and then as it gets later in the song, that disappears. Yep. So it's a really interesting at first. I'm like kind of tripping out a little. Yeah, and it's definitely it definitely if you were just kind of like flipping through songs and didn't have 
the whole song on and nobody told you to listen to it, you may have skipped at this point um, because admittedly it does start slow and have that weird thing, but um, but it's really good. So believe it or not, and you'll be able to hear as the song builds and gets to its like crescendo essentially, there's a lot going on. These, this whole album and basically everything they do is basically written by two brothers, which is absolutely insane to me. Um, because I'm sh well, they say it's written. You never know like if, if they specifically write everybody else's part or if they do, do the beginning. Um, but like it for the amount of uh, instruments that they use and the sound that they get, it's it, these must be the two most talented musicians in Europe, I would guess. Um, obviously, I can't say that for a fact but ooh, this part uh reminds me a little bit of peter and the wolf yeah yeah, uh, yeah. because you get a little oboe it sounds like or it's actually bass but it for whatever reason it just sounds like peter and the wolf to me like it reminds me of like the two different characters yes like being represented by the instruments mm -hmm. yeah and, th and this is where it really starts to build which is great um peter and the wolf would have been cool to be on here but that's also written for a movie so yeah. I, I couldn't couldn't include that but now it's when it starts picking up a little bit. You can start hearing the bass get a lot busier, more instruments coming in, the drums starting to pick up. This is when it really kind of takes off and becomes, well, it starts to build to it, and then it's just like one note, and all of a sudden, like, the floodgates are opened. I love the the mix of real drums with the, like, electronic drum machine breakbeat. Yes. is really fascinating. Uh, also, I feel like sleigh bells are underutilized all the time. I, like they're great. It's hard. I think it's hard to pull off in a lot of music. Yeah, without sounding like you're about to, you yeah. know, be Bruce Springsteen slamming out Santa Claus. Like it's it's yeah. great though. Yeah, and now it's now it's kind of picked up, and the sax is really going wild as well as oh. all the instruments coming in. Oh yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I do too. I think and and a lot of tracks on this record have that combo of the electronic. Uh, sample drums versus the live stuff uh, which is really cool and the, the live ones are what keeps it so jazzy I feel like because the electronic ones especially in other songs can like really sound like it's a, it's written for somebody else um, some like more electronic based kind of kind of group but, but yeah this song it's it's hard to show this song to people because it's it's bo it's not boring in the beginning it's slow in the beginning and not everybody likes jazz, so it's it's some it's it's one that I'm like always like I want more people to listen to this and talk to me about it, but it's hard to just bring up casually and it's, like it's definitely like uh, working in my job and people are like, oh, what's like a record you're listening to that's really cool right now? My immediate like questions are like, do you like jazz? <laughs> because that's what I've spent the last two years really diving into. Nice. And I'm like, do you like jazz? And if they're like, no, then I'm like. Oh, then like you know, go over there and buy something. Yeah, there's or like the I'll section. suggest something else. But like, if they're generally like, "What's a record you heard this last year that you think's brilliant that I need to know about?" I'm pulling a jazz record out and handing it to you and saying, "Yeah, you know, this is like you know, there's a big rise in Afrobeat right now, so you got to check these this artist out." And if you like jazz, I mean, I've never heard this record, Dave. This is incredible. Yeah, cool. So uh, yeah, so that's number three for me, Dan. Let's go over to you for your number two instrumental track. Okay, before we hit the play button, we need to know one thing and one thing only, and that is that the greatest post-metal band that ever existed is Isis. I don't want to hear from anybody else that it's Neurosis or it's this other band you know or I need to look into the other stuff. Just stop. The greatest band to produce this style of music was the band Isis. It is... They do not have bad records. 
They do not have bad EPs. They have never done anything that is not worth listening to. And right now, we're about to talk about one of their greatest instrumental songs with no vocals, which there are not many of. And this song is called Altered Course. This record comes off of their classic album, Panopticon, the third LP that they put together. Uh, This immediately followed their landmark album, Oceanic, which is widely considered to be one of the greatest records of all time from that band. And then this immediately followed it and kind of was always compared to Oceanic, whereas this record is significantly more... um, I guess experimental, significantly more atmospheric, uh, with much more low points and way less just straight up sludge, um, which I think makes it insanely interesting and much more approachable for people who traditionally probably wouldn't be into this aggressive of music that ISIS creates. And let me be clear, ISIS is no, in no way affiliated with the terrorist organization Correct. from overseas. Um, this band was born and gone before that even became a thing in the American lexicon or world lexicon that ISIS as a terrorist group. Um, they were around so much that I remember wearing their shirt at a bar in, I guess, about 2012, 2013. And some guy came up to me and was like, do you think that shirt's funny? And I was like, I don't under, and then I realized I was like, it's time to hang it up. I got to retire it. Like, I I don't want to have to have this five minute conversation every time about, no, the band's actually named after the Egyptian goddess. And that's what it is. Like it's, it just, it's not worth it for the shirt. Not at all. The band has since reprinted shirts that say just oceanic on them with their little logo. So that nowhere on the shirt does it say ISIS. That's smart. Which I think is the funniest thing ever, is the the self-awareness that, like, look, this name's taken on a different meaning now. Uh, But this song is just, it's absolutely great, man. It starts big and ends small, which I think is an interesting thing, because most of these songs that you hear from post-metal, post-rock, it's all about starting low and then building to a crescendo, where I think this song actually kind of does the opposite in like a lion out like a lamb um and i find that that's always very interesting um an interesting way to switch this song um this album is named um is derived from a inventor and philosopher named jeremy bantham which it was a concept for a prison um, where a central observation tower surrounds windowless cells that the prisoners are inside Uh, The intention is so that all prisoners are placated through the fear of constant surveillance, which he described as a new mode of obtaining power of mind over the mind in a quantity without example, is the direct quote from him. Wow. And it means that you can watch every prisoner at any time, but they can't see that you're watching them. So they have no idea when you're watching them. So that idea that they are constantly being watched will placate them into behaving better. Um, And that was what the main focus for this album was to um, talk about the proliferation of proliferation of surveillance technologies um, in our society as being pushed and furthered by our government. The idea that they're handing out cell phones and 
allowing you to download social media apps and things like that, that essentially do all their work for them, that you are being watched 24 seven without realizing it. And sort of the impact that has on the psyche of our society. Um, this record was released in 2004 originally, and then was remastered later in 2014 and added uh, some extra songs and bonus material. Uh, one song is now like 10 seconds longer than it used to be. I don't know how much of a difference that really makes. You always um, want to make ISIS songs longer. It's, <laughs> this is definitely, this is officially the longest song on my selection. Oh yeah. Um, coming in at over nine minutes. Um, it's definitely a long-winded uh, format. Uh, these bands, they never make short songs. Uh, it's just not what they do. No. Um, the shortest songs on any ISIS album are the like small instrumental, like minute and a half interludes of like noise and spectral aura that happen uh, in between crushing waves of heavy vocal and guitar. Oh yeah. Um, typically, this band has, especially on this record, there's a lot of clean vocal on here too, but uh, their singer and guitar player, um, Aaron Turner, has what I would describe as one of the most brutal voices in heavy metal and heavy music. Um, just a super deep, throaty growl that I've still not heard anybody be able to duplicate. Um, a sound entirely his own. As soon as you hear it, you can tell it's him. Uh, nobody else sounds like him, and... He's gone on to produce other fantastic projects and bands, um, originally with Isis and then performing. Uh, he has a super group called Old Man Gloom with members of Caven and Converge, um, as well Sickest as combination in heavy music. Yeah, you could have. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. That band's yeah. so, so good. And all of their records are themed around monkeys, at least initially. I don't believe that theme is still continuing. But they I did were, not know that. They were all Simeon-themed albums, which oh. is great. Um, and they also he also um, has done solo stuff, has done albums with noise artists and different like artists like Merzbau and different ambient tunes and like guys like Keiji Hano from Japan, as well as he also has a uh, trio, a power trio that is also a super group. Um, with members from Baptists and Russian circles called Sumac. Um, that that is also an incredible band you should check out, but they're much more avant-garde, uh, much stranger, much more out there, weird, where like their last album is only four songs, Ooh. but is every song is like 10 and a half minutes <laughs> and goes through multiple movements of noise and ambience and then noise again. And then it's just... So I guess I'm getting off topic of this song specifically. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that from time to time. But this song almost sounds like it's slowly deflating, except for the consistent drum pattern that is almost entirely void of cymbals, which is so interesting to me. It's all just floor tom and snare. So like, it really lets that ethereal guitar whine out and just fill the space with that. Um, so from that, I guess... With this song winding down, uh, we will kick it to you, Dave, uh, for your second pick for a favorite instrumental song. All right, cool. So number two for me is the song Maria Tambien from the band Krongbin. 
another one that's hard to pronounce, but this one's not from Norway, so you get a break from that country, guys and girls. Um, so this band has become pretty popular in the last couple years, um, and it's really not hard for me to see why they're they're so so fun and so talented. It's it's a three piece. Uh, that makes all instrumental music for the most part. The last album had it had some tracks with with vocals on it, um, but they've got a very distinct sound. Um, they do a lot of like African and Middle Eastern sounding, really everything. Um, and actually, the theme for this song is rare. I know you had a, you had um, that explosions in the sky song with the explosions in the sky. Excuse me. Um, this one actually has a theme too. If you watch the music video, it um, takes place in Iran, and it's basically about how they had a lot of freedom for the women there up until a certain point in the night or the 20th century, and and then a lot of it was taken away. So it shows the women yeah, when, the, when the Arab summer hit. Yeah, so it shows a lot of the women, um, you know. With no face covering, wearing dresses, skirts, dancing on stage, singing on stage, things that they unfortunately aren't allowed to do anymore now. Um, and as the music video progresses, that you start losing more and more of the women from the video, um, kind of showing you how, you know, a lot of the rights that they had at some point were then taken away. So definitely a pretty powerful message um, for a, you know, a song that doesn't have a single lyric in it. Um, I think that's in and of itself, that that's something that makes uh, you know a, a powerful instrumental track. Not to mention the fact that the guitar playing on this song is absolutely unbelievable. Um, it's hard to create just like non-stop memorable melodies in a single song, and and he's some, somehow able to do it. The the tremolo picking is insane. Like, oh, I can, absolutely! I can feel my right my forearm burning. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually stretching out as as I'm saying it. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. So, um, so a little background about this band. It, like I said, it's a three-piece. The drummer and guitar player were in a church band together for years and then met the bassist, Laura Lee. Uh, or I guess she was friends with the guitar player. And she just, like, decided to start learning bass. And then the two guys decided to form a band. She tried out, like, maybe six months after she just started learning and made the band. And, and she's one of the more noticeable parts I think of it. I mean, the bass playing in every one of their songs is incredible. I'm, I am in love with the vibe of this song. Oh, it's um, so good. <laughs> every one of their songs is good. It's really dancey, but it's not, it, it does, it definitely certainly has a Middle Eastern flair to it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, with the guitar sounds for sure. But And the drums are more like dancey and... Yeah, the drums are, are definitely almost more like, almost like a house beat, like it's, or like disco. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's weird. Um, when you watch him play too, or maybe it's just the like the tiny desk they did and some other videos I've seen. He just has like a the most straight face I've ever seen. He's just like not like he doesn't care or notice, but I'm sure he's like loving it. He's but just punching the clock. Yeah, like it's just it, it might just be like his drum face, but it's it's f oddly like just zero emotion. It's it's kind of funny. He's a professional, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. All right, um, so with that, Dan, let's get over to your number one track. Okay, my number one track is arguably the greatest jazz song of all time. That's right, I'm talking about Giant Steps by John Coltrane. Uh, this is, I mean, if if you're in the jazz note, I don't have to explain everything, anything about this to you. But if you're not, um, 
give you a little history about it. Uh, this was released in February 1960 on Atlantic Records. Uh, the band features Tommy Flanagan on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, Art Taylor on drums, and your, yours truly, John Coltrane, on alto saxophone. Um, it's such an interesting song as far as why the song is so interesting is that this song is played in three different keys and it shifts in major thirds every time it hits the one in the chord progression. So when you look at this song in just the first few measures, it goes four, one change, two, four, one change, four, one change, two, four, one change and moves in that triangular pattern around the circle of fifths every single time it hits the one. It's ridiculous and it's uh, every two beats it shifts. And the craziest part is if you were to hand someone that sheet music, you're like, okay, we're gonna have to work around these key changes that are often referred to as the Coltrane changes uh, because of how prolific this was when he released it. That he walks in, he hands the music to everybody, they see it, and they go, okay, we're going to have to figure this out and get this going. And then he goes, oh yeah, also, uh, I'm calling for a 290 beat per minute. So this thing is going to fucking move. So you're going to have you're going to have to be able to do this at the speed of light, essentially. Like, if I was to tell you, Dave, I need you to play um, for the first uh, two beats, you're in C, and then you're going to be in G, and then you're going to be in A flat, and uh, two, 290 beats per minute, so uh, get it going. It's, it's insane, it's ridiculous. Like, it's so crazy. You can hear when Tommy Flanagan's improvisation part hits, he can almost barely hold on, and he has to, you can hear like almost stuttering in what he's doing um, on piano. Like, you hear him like start and stop a few times as if he has to like think for a second. And it's only, shown as how difficult it is more when as soon as he's done Coltrane just rips and immediately is off like a rocket and just shreds it's insane how incredible of a player this man was uh, there is a really really great video uh, that was put together by Fox uh, the company that's called the most feared song in jazz that really explains through some musicians who are significantly more talented and theory knowledgeable than myself of why this is considered the pinnacle in improvisational jazz and why being able to perform this is considered almost like a rite of passage for a jazz musician that if you can play and you can improvise over giant steps now it's almost like uh you know the first time you were able to play through the entire solo of eruption by Eddie Van Halen. It's like, okay, now you're considered like a real player. Like now that you can do that, you can come in with everybody else. Now you can consider yourself, you can be a part of the team. Now you can wear those uh, hats and smoke cigarettes and spin your instruments around. And, yeah. yeah, and it, you know. It, it, and, AKA you're cool as shit now. And sadly start booting heroin. Um, oh, yeah. Like just about every, you know, John Coltrane, as well as a lot of these jazz lessons, are notably known to have had a lot of issues with drugs. Um, it is the sad realization of the hard bop movement and renaissance in jazz. And almost jazz's hardship in music in general, especially of always. That it was always an issue with that. I think mostly because of the, the life that you lead, of being on the road all the time. Um, 
not really, especially back then, not really making a lot of money doing it too. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's a form of escapism that it, it's people get caught up in, and it's a tragedy. Unfortunately. Yeah. Song ends with a big old drum roll at the very end to just let you know, cut, and everybody can go outside and smoke ten cigarettes and relax. <laughs> um, so yeah, that is my choice for the greatest. Uh, instrumental song of all time. So, to add to that, when you were explaining like how how the song progresses, I, I was like Zach Galifianakis in that GIF with all the numbers like floating around my head, like, <laughs> like trying trying to, trying to keep up. Like, wait, calculating, wait, 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 wait. counting the cards. Also, um, this is bad radio, but if you turn around, Dan, that circle of fifths is hand drawn by John Coltrane. I have it framed in my. Oh my goodness! I never noticed that. Yeah, so it's he has a slightly different take on the circle of fists and and the notes' relationships to each other, and I got it blown up and and framed. Well, I framed it myself, but yeah, yeah, That's hung it up in my music room. I've ever seen, and now I'm upset because there's no way I could put that in my house, knowing that it's in your house. Yep, too late. Sorry, bud. You have enough posters, man. I know, but like that's so. Cool. <laughs> you have thousands of posters. We'll post. We'll post a photo of that online so you can see yes. it. Because please, please believe it is the coolest thing I've ever seen and never noticed simultaneously. Okay, so with that, Dave, uh, why don't you let me know what your number one favorite instrumental song is? All right, number one for me is "Albatross" by Fleetwood Mac. So, this is original Fleetwood Mac lineup. So much more this is of the original the, trilogy. Yes. So <laughs> this is a new hope Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, essentially that's that's what I would compare this to. This was, you know, 60s trying just like everybody else at the time to sound as uh, bluesy and and American, I guess, as as it could, which turned into what we all love about rock and roll music. So um it's not Lindsey Buckingham on guitar, which is, you know, a shock to most people who don't know some of the early stuff from them. Yeah, there's no Stevie Nicks here. No, no. Pre all of them. Um, look up the original guy's name. I think Danny Green? Peter Green. Peter Green, excuse Peter me. Green. Danny Green plays basketball for the Sixers. So Peter Green, um, I mean, when you listen to the song, uh, he wrote it. It's, it's in, an incredible melody that kind of builds and changes, not a ton throughout the song, but it really carries... A fully instrumental track about as well as as a melody can um the drums are almost non-existent throughout the song um which is always funny because the band's named after the drummer um you'd think that he would just be in there like trying to make it his song but luckily um they had more self-awareness and were able to put out this this beautiful masterpiece of a song so um, the reason that Peter Green's no longer in the band is he started doing a shit ton of LSD and during like their last tour just disappeared in Germany, went to some like weird commune and was just like what we think of hippies doing now, just like going to a place and just getting in drum circles and playing music. That's what he did. And they were just like, all right, man, that's, that's enough. Like, we're not doing this with you anymore. And then they moved on. But and, and started making far more commercially successful songs than this one. I don't believe this ever charted it here in the U.S., but it did hit number one, actually, in, in, in the U.K., which is surprising for an instrumental song. It's not something that you would expect too often. Wow, this is so... It's so, it's so like, sweet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, man, this is... It's just nice. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't build 
to, to anything different like the, like no, the just, Airborne I, song did. I, d- I don't need it to build, though. It's just Mm-mm. so... Just, just... So it. soft and gentle and, mm-hmm. like... It almost reminds me of, like, having your head against someone's chest mm. with the, like... I could see that. like, echoey, but, like, almost entirely just low-end drums. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no stick hit against the skin. Nope. It's almost like it was recorded from the bottom of the drum only. He used, um... He with, used like, mallets. Yeah. yeah, he did use it's, mallets to record this one. But so that's why like it sounds like if that. If you had a mallet that was, like, a whole pillow. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, like... Yeah. Like... It's just, slow. It's not... It doesn't have much to it but it doesn't need it it's just a perfect perfect instrumental song it's just a sweet little like it almost it sounds like you're in like a hammock mm. like on a beach like it's, oh yeah it's got that whole but then it also has that little bit of like robert johnson-y pain to it mm-hmm. it's really really fantastic man. yeah the slide guitar i think really adds a lot of that stuff too yeah. once it starts and it's it's almost like yeah it's just a beautiful contrast to the other melody that, and and kind of takes it down as the other goes yeah, up. Yeah, like it's, like it's if great. Muddy Waters spent time in Miami, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like lived on a beach. Yeah, that's, rather that's, than in Chicago. That's or Detroit. Fun. That's funny to think Chicago. about. Chicago, that's where he's from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think BB uh, King even said that the, that um, that Peter Green was one of his biggest influences. Not one of his biggest influences, but was was an influence. Um, and you know when you when you can write melodies like that. Um, it's easy to see why. When did this song come out, man? 68, I want to say. Hang on. I had it up a second ago. Yep, 1968. I was right. It's so crazy. Because like in your head, you're like, oh, Fleetwood Mac is a 70s band. Right. Because all the hits you know are from yeah, I mean, later on. The self-titled came out, and there are a couple of hits on that. And then, you know, all 12 songs or whatever, number one hits from Rumors. Yeah. It's just hit salad, man. It really is. It's That's a <laughs> like, perfect album. Okay, so cool. I think that wraps us up yep. for this week for our favorite songs that are entirely instrumental. Yep, and I'm sure um, at some point in the future we'll probably expand this to include some of the movie show specific things too. So um, don't be upset if you had something you really like that you know would have fit into one of those groups because we'll probably get to it. Um, and yeah, so take a listen to all the songs in full. Um, they they're all great and they're all maybe not all but a lot of them are probably ones that you aren't familiar with so um check out our our top fives and let us know what we missed and and what we should have included instead dan tell everyone where they can find us all right you can find us on twitter and instagram under at dnd music factory that's the letter d the letter n and the letter d again followed by music factory uh, you can find me personally at at lukewarm Steve Austin on Instagram and Dave at at DF Hughes Jr. on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, if you'd like to hear this week's songs without any of our witty banter or input, uh, the weekly playlist can be heard on Spotify. Search under D&D Music Factory for playlists and you can subscribe to make sure you get notified when the list comes up each week. All right. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.